Hello and welcome to Alenovri Luxembourg's podcast. My name is Victoria Wurstmann. I'm a senior associate in our Luxembourg corporate department. And today we'll be talking about special purpose acquisition companies or SPACs. For this, I'm joined by two of our partners from the Luxembourg office, Paul Peporte in our capital markets team and Jacques Gras, partner in our corporate team. Hi, guys. Hi, Victoria. Hi, Victoria. So, Paul, tell us, the word SPAC sounds kind of fancy. What is a SPAC, actually? Thank you, Victoria. I think you mentioned it already. So, SPAC stands for a Special Purpose Acquisition Company. SPACs are essentially companies with no business operations that are listed solely for the purpose of raising capital in order to finance the acquisition of one or more businesses. And I think the key difference between a SPAC and an ordinary company listed on the market through a classical IPO is that here the SPAC really has as purpose to acquire a specific company without knowing at the time of the launch of the SPAC which company will be acquired. So the idea is that there is a sponsor team that is behind SPAC and the success of the SPAC will really depend on the ability of these sponsors to find the right company in accordance with the various investment criteria that are typically set out in the offer documentation relating to the SPAC. The SPAC basically has a, an initial lifespan of typically 24 months, which is the time frame during which the sponsors will attempt to find one or more relevant acquisition companies. And then basically we will proceed with these backing of the company. I think overall, and compared to a, a normal IPO and initial public offering, these SPACs offer the advantage of allowing a cheaper and quicker access to the capital markets, which I think is one of the reasons for the current success of these uh, SPACs. Okay, thanks a lot, Paul. So you've mentioned uh, most of the key features of a SPAC already. So if I understand correctly, a SPAC is kind of an empty company that is being set up and brought to market by a number of sponsors. And so it's, it's kind of an empty shell, right? That's right. The idea is that the initiators will just set up the corporate structure. And the idea is then to seek money from third-party investors put the money on an account, on a typical escrow account, and then leave the sponsors to find the relevant company to be acquired or into which it will be merged in the end. But you're right, it's some form of shell company with a lot of cash for a certain period of time. Hmm, okay, that sounds cool. Jacques, people in the industry like you and I, we've been hearing about SPACs over the past couple of years already, but mainly in the US. Now, these seem to be flooding into Europe. How come? What, what has been driving this momentum now? Uh, you know, everything good comes from the U.S. No, more seriously, it's, well, I think the United States are, and the Anglo-Saxon world generally is typically a bit at the forefront when it comes to financial engineering, developing new products. And it's a trend that indeed started in the U.S., but I think we are now at a stage where the availability of liquidity in the market is such that there's almost like a flooding that comes over the Atlantic. And once the attractiveness of SPACs was also known to European investors and European sponsors, well, they said, well, this seems to work quite well in the US, so why shouldn't we start replicating it? That being said, we are, of course, still in the early days, but it's clear that Europe tries to tag along what has been, at least for some, quite a success in, in the US. 
And you mentioned the flood of liquidity. Do you think that the fact that SPACs are coming to life in Europe now specifically is because of the COVID-related slow in the market that we've experienced at the beginning of last year when COVID started and that now investors and sponsors have quite a lot of cash available that they want to put into the market? Or do you think that's not related at all? Well, it, it's always dangerous to ask a lawyer to comment on financial evolutions. My personal opinion is that COVID is not necessarily the key factor here. The liquidity situation in the market, the overall economic situation, the key drivers were already there prior to COVID. And to some extent, COVID paused a bit this evolution and it just restarted, maybe it was accelerated. But I don't think it's a key factor. It's a natural If I may, from the outside, look at it again uh, with the eyes of a lawyer, so take it with a pinch of salt. It's an evolution that is linked to the overall access of cash, the drive to find new investment opportunities and the necessity to be more and more innovative to place interesting investment products. That does make sense indeed. So in your opinion, who could be interested in creating a SPAC and why on the issuer side? Well, maybe to ask the question, so you mean on, on the sponsor side or you, you mean in terms of what company yeah, right. would on be the, on the, on the sponsor On the sponsor on, issuer side. So who, who wants to set okay. up a SPAC? Well, uh, people that have the credibility in the market to raise the credibility and the network to raise sufficient funds and people that are sufficiently well connected to find appropriate targets. And I would say that at least from what we can see at this point in time, it falls into two groups. You have the almost friends and family type structures or previous investor partner type from big funds that go alone and that want to create their own ventures. We just saw last week an article about the former Commerce Bank CEO that wants to launch a SPAC focused on fintechs. But on the other hand, you also have some of the bigger and the biggest known funds that go for it themselves. So it becomes almost an alternative product for some of the major funds. So it's pretty much, as you say, uh, on one hand, a new product for the funds, but also on the other hand, a product for well-known business persons that now want to try something new and want to really go into the market. But in general terms, do you think that overall private equity and alternative investment firms should put SPACs on their meeting agenda for the future? Well, I think actually they are on the agenda. And again, just looking at recent publications, just last week ago, it was announced that KKR-backed SPAC raised over a billion dollars. So it is definitely on the agenda already. To some extent, the fact that we in the legal community talk so much about the topic shows that it's a topic that has already matured in the financial sector over some period of time. An interesting element, of course, to keep in mind, and maybe we'll talk about it later, is the fact that you set up a SPAC is only the beginning of the cycle. And the real success of a SPAC depends whether it actually can find appropriate targets and go on with the initial business plan. Hmm, yeah, that, that sounds right. Let's jump to the middle of the cycle that you referred to. So to jump to the investor side. Who would typically be interested in investing in a SPAC, in your opinion? Well, I don't think that there is a limit in terms of profiles of people or institutions or individuals that would be interested. That being said, it is, of course, a relative, in particular in Europe, a relatively new product. And as such, at least in the initial stage, you need to have a certain level of sophistication. It's certainly not a, a retail product at this point in time. That being said, you know, it really depends on the setup of the SPAC. But it is, at this stage, still a sophisticated product. I don't know, Paul, if you have further thoughts on this, but uh, that's at least my, yeah. my view at this stage. 
No, absolutely. And, and what is interesting is that because all of these specs will be admitted to trading on a regulated market, they actually need to produce a prospectus for the admission to trading on the regulated market. And this prospectus needs to be approved by the relevant competent authority. And interestingly, this prospectus in principle also allows a public offering throughout the European Union. So you could actually quite easily and without much additional costs foresee that in addition to the listing on the regulated market that you do a public offering. So including to retail in Europe, which is kind of the highest standard available. But that being said, it's really a question of who is the target for this type of investments. And I think there, what Jag already said, um, the, probably the main focus, which is also what we are seeing on a number of transactions, is um, to, to first look into institutional clientele or friends and family and rather structure this as a, a private placement initially rather than a public offer open to retail. Mm, right, makes sense. And Paul, you touched on it already. So in the life cycle of a SPAC involves listing on a regulated stock exchange. What drives the choice of location of listing? Does that absolutely need to be Luxembourg, given that we're talking about from Luxembourg now, or does that not matter? To respond straight away to the point about do you need to list in Luxembourg? No, actually, the system of the European passport, so to speak, allows you to list on a regulated market within Europe with a single prospectus, no matter where it has been approved. So there's no particular obligation to go to Luxembourg or to go to another market within the EU. But it's nevertheless an interesting point in terms of what is the choice of the listing venue? Because when you compare SPACs with the traditional IPOs, you very often see that an IPO is carried out on the market where the underlying business is present. So let's take an example. You would have an operating group with operations in Germany. Even if there is now a Luxembourg holding company that will be IPO'd, you would very often see that there is a public offering being done into Germany and an admission to trading on a regulated market in Germany because I think the intention is to be close to the investor base and um, benefit from the reputation that the group already has in the relevant company. So that's the typical setup. So List in the country where you have the main operations for a SPAC, that is kind of difficult because at the time where the SPAC is launched, there is no knowledge where specifically the underlying group that you will acquire or merge in will be located. So indeed, there is a more leeway there. And I think talking about a Luxembourg SPAC that would be used Does it necessarily need to be listed in Luxembourg? So the answer is no, but can it be listed in Luxembourg there? The answer is why not? Okay, and that despite the fact that the Luxembourg Stock Exchange is quite known for the listing of debt instruments rather than equity. Yeah, that is again a good point. It's true that the Luxembourg Stock Exchange is one of the leading exchanges when it comes to listing debt instruments. And that market really is huge compared to an equity market, which is quite limited. But the main point is that at the time where the SPAC is launched, why do you have a listing on the regulated market is to be eligible for certain types of investors, but you don't choose a particular stock exchange because you want to basically be actively trading into that market. So why not choose a Luxembourg stock exchange where maybe access is easier or swifter compared to another exchange in order at least to start the listing process of the SPAC. And then I think once we are in the process of going into the next phase of despacking, then considerations can be had as to whether there is actually a more appropriate listing venue in the future. For instance, in my example that I mentioned before, if in the end the Luxembourg SPAC acquires a German underlying business, there may be merit then in the next phase to look into accessing the German market rather than staying in Luxembourg, for instance. But that's again, and I think as Jack was already mentioning it, that's more the business elements to be considered. So as poor lawyers, we can obviously just give an overview of what is possible.
So in the process of de-sparking, it would absolutely be possible to then consider a double or a triple listing in different markets as well, in addition to the initial listing market. Yeah, and I think that is typically what the process of de-sparking will involve. It will involve an assessment of what is really the key market on which a listing should be had. And there is a, let's say, an, a possibility to exempt or to facilitate the admission to trading on an additional regulated market once the shares are already admitted to trading on that market previously. So you could, in theory, benefit from the admission to trading that was obtained at the time of the launch of the SPAC in order to facilitate the access of the same shares to another regulated market down the line once the despacking process has been initiated. This is subject to certain conditions, but it is something to be looked into because it would allow you to basically access this additional or alternative exchange without necessarily having to go through the entire process of having a prospectus approved and passported into the relevant jurisdiction, which obviously then facilitates that process. Yeah, in, in particular, if you look at it from an EU perspective, and you mentioned the buzzword prospectus and ability to market it throughout the EU, at the end of the day, at the time you create the SPAC, the key driver is ability to quickly list the SPAC. At the time of the despacking and the time you onboard a target by way of merger or otherwise, you may need to rethink how you set up the SPAC or the future listed company in a different way, and then you may need additional listing on another market. So to some extent, it is a question that becomes more relevant in the second stage than in the initial stage. And if I may, from a pure egoistic Luxembourg national perspective, to some extent, there could be an interest for the Luxembourg Stock Exchange to try to offer some facilitated access for SPAC structures, noting, of course, that the downside of the local stock exchange is mainly as a trading platform, but that would be more relevant in a second stage. Thanks, Jacques. And you mentioned an interesting buzzword in your last answer being rethinking. And that brings me to my next question to you guys, and especially to you, Jacques. You and I know that SPACs faced some criticism in the past, despite their promising features. The concerns are still raised today, for example, from some ESG investors who are having second thoughts about blank check firms that have flooded the market. But at the same time, others argue that SPACs match the urgency and scope of our global sustainability challenges and that we see more and more new ESG SPACs being listed. What's your take on that? Well, first of all, I think these concerns are not really proper to SPACs. So the concern about taking into account ESG in an appropriate manner when it comes to investments, it is not only a buzz, it's a reality. And I think it's a legal reality to some extent, but it's also a moral reality. When it comes to SPACs, there's, of course, ways from the outset to create a framework that creates sort of an overall theme regarding ESG. So while not identifying upfront a specific target, you could imagine having certain guidelines or certain minimum criteria, or at least indicate that this will be a driver. And so investors can then, to some extent, choose and compare, okay, this is an ESG-friendly spec and this is a non-ESG-friendly spec. So to that extent, I don't think this is a spec-specific topic, but it's certainly, because of the legal structure of specs, the risk of going completely wild is higher, but it can, for those that want to manage the risk, it can certainly be managed on the sponsor side. Exactly. And I would presume that a push from the market in wanting to invest into ESG-friendly SPACs will also force sponsors setting up SPACs to further consider this, I guess. So it's a demand and supply again, as usual, no? The market usually wins. That's indeed true. Very true.
Paul, let's bring another fancy word to the table here, and we've already mentioned it briefly. Despacking, that means the business combination of a spec with the target and post-spec life of a company. So following the business combination, what are the key considerations for despacking and for former specs in your view? Yeah, thank you, Victoria. I think indeed we have already briefly mentioned the specking process. I think the process really then to say that the spec enters into a new phase. It consists in the execution and completion then of the acquisition of the target and then the, let's say, the admission of the, the resulting group to trading on the relevant uh, venue. I think at this stage, the spec will typically then also switch the name and adopt the name of the entity into which it has merged or which it has acquired. And the expectation is that at that point in time or just prior to that, the assessment is made as to what is really the uh, right listing venue. So in which country should the shares be admitted to trading? What is the segment of the market in which the shares should be admitted to trading? So I think all of these are questions that will then have to be assessed at that point in time. And as mentioned previously, the advantage is, of course, that all of these moves will be facilitated because the SPAC has already a past experience of being a company admitted to trading, which under the relevant European regulations and directives will facilitate the ongoing life going forward as a listed company. But I think after the despecking, the purpose is really for this company to operate as a normal company with shares listed on a regulated market. And there should be no difference between this type of company and other traditional companies that you see being listed and admitted to trading. I think the main point, and that is probably also then the reason for the push towards SPACs, is that from the underlying company's perspective, you can really see this the whole SPAC initiative as being an accelerated means to obtain listing on the regulated market. Because if you compare the two processes of doing an IPO, doing a significant due diligence on your business and basically describing in quite detail in your prospectus what your business is and, and what you expect for the future compared to in a SPAC prospectus just uh, opportunistically seek to acquire an underlying company, it may seem easier to go through the SPAC route and then obviously also as a company to prefer being acquired by a SPAC in order to indirectly then be listed and admitted to trading. And it cannot be excluded that this will be a really a market change for the future and that future we will see more and more of these let's say, reverse IPOs than classical IPOs. So I think that's probably too early to say. I mentioned at the beginning that the lifespan of a SPAC is typically 24 months. So maybe in a number of months, we'll see how this trend evolves of how successful various SPACs have been. And then in the coming years, we'll probably see whether this is now being favored instead of the traditional IPO route. That's really interesting. And that sounds to me like indeed being or having the capacity of being a game changer to the current ECM and M&A markets. So that sounds really cool. Jacques, so based on all this, should Luxembourg go after SPACs and should SPACs go after Luxembourg from now on, in your opinion? Well, you know, I'm a commercial corporate lawyer, so I'm always happy for additional transactional work. That being said, and then I mentioned it earlier, the markets have a law by themselves to some extent. It's certainly worth mentioning that Luxembourg as a jurisdiction offers an attractive environment to structure SPACs in the European Union through the flexible corporate law environment, but also through the regulator, if the listing would be done through the Luxembourg regulator through the Luxembourg regulator approves the prospectus. So there's a quite extensive experience. And in that regard, it's certainly worse for the local community to position itself as a jurisdiction that offers a certain attractiveness. As regards whether SPAC should look to Luxembourg, well, you can't force things, but it's definitely a jurisdiction that should be on the map. 
Great. Thank you so much, guys. You've left us so much food for thought. Thanks a lot for sharing your insights on SPACs and the Luxembourg market. I'm sure we'll be back soon to talk about more. Thank you. Thank you.